This is part two of the podcast, um, Ripples and Divergence Points. Um, uh, it's so it's, terrible. It is terrible. It's terrible. I mean, uh, Peter was Peter was an asshole in the show, and it's like they couldn't make up the, their mind if he was a villain or not, and you know, blah 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 blah. But it was that was so, and and Scott, Scott's his angst from that point on was about not being allowed to murder Peter. Really, that's just butt ugly. So. Um, yeah, I've, I've seen, I've seen those kind of rationalizations too. I just don't buy it that because styles isn't stupid and you can't have it both ways. Either he has the ability to logically reason out consequences, which the show shows him having, or he doesn't. And he, um, it's just wildly inconsistent that he would, he would be that, um, convinced that keeping his father ignorant was keeping him safe when his father if his father had not if his father had not been you know um if he'd been at work he'd have died you know actually he was at work but he would have died along with those he should very realistically should have died along with those other 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 deputies so he's not an idiot um and and honestly, I don't think they had anything else to hang him continuing to keep his father in the dark for another season. They were trying to do that teenagers against the world thing. But once all those deputies got killed, that ship sailed. It wasn't teenagers against the world anymore, right? It wasn't teenagers off on an adventure anymore. This had crossed over into the real world in a really ugly way. And to continue to have them all keeping Noah in the dark and Noah accepting being in the dark. I mean, if I had been Noah, that was my kid, I had been packing his ass off to go elsewhere. I'm like, you aren't going to talk to me. You're going to go and stay with your aunt, cousin, uncle, whatever. Because this isn't working. I don't know what's going on with you, but you do nothing but lie to me. And now you're getting beat up and you won't tell me what's going on. And you're, I'm just not going to put up. Either you come clean. And then once he came clean, he'd still getting packed off. Oh. Yeah, that, that whole thing with Melissa keeping it a secret, too, just my suspension of disbelief fell on the floor and died. Which is why, I mean, I don't think I ever write it that Noah forgives her for that. Um, and that's a point I make in Unobstructed Views quite a lot, is that Noah, it, every time he turns around, he keeps talking about people covering their own ass. And, and in the meantime, kids are getting hurt, and he's just not okay with that. And it's all these adults talking about, we got to protect my own, I got to protect my own, got to protect my own. And um, he just is like, I just don't get, he doesn't fundamentally get it because these are supposed to be adults and they're supposed to be doing something. They're supposed to be doing better. Um, so I, I, I've done season two because that's my hard limit, right? That's where I typically, now I've enjoyed Teen Wolf stories that are set in season three and beyond. But I admit I have some suspension of disbelief issues. It's a little bit hinky to me, you know, that the clinging to that rationalization the show presented, but okay, but I can't write it. Um, I like to write, uh, I like to read a using Teen Wolf where the hails don't die. Yeah, I do too. 
But if I were to do another canon divergent point in Teen Wolf, I think I would pick the end of season one, just because I'd like to write a story that doesn't have them do that. I think that's a really, that was a really defining moment for those kids. And they probably still all needed all the therapy. They'd been thrown into the deep end of the supernatural pool, as it were. Um, Scott had still been bitten. You know, they still had been having to deal with hunters. But at that point in season one, their biggest, their, their big obstacles were hunters and, um, and Peter, right? So if you handle that situation better, it, it, there's this potential to avert a lot of problems that occur in the show and not have a bunch of teenagers who apparently have their, you know, empathic receptors turned off, set a man on fire. While they're sociopaths. Yeah. I mean, every single one of them in that moment's a fucking sociopath. While plot and Scott's plan is to kill Peter, right? That's his plan. His plan is to kill somebody. Somebody who's who arguably is I mean, it's hard it's really hard to say who's the bigger victim, Derek or Peter. Because there's good indication that Peter was aware for the six years he was in agony. I don't think that um for me, a victim is a victim is a victim. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can kind of weigh and measure the trauma of what Peter and Derek went through. They both lost a lot. Peter had a lot of physical trauma. Derek had a lot of mental and emotional trauma. Um, well, but Peter had physical trauma too. I mean, emotional trauma too. He lost everybody he'd ever loved. And, it, yeah. and he had no pack. D Derek still had pack. I do think that I don't typically like if I were writing these these characters, I wouldn't do like a comparative pain thing. But I do think Peter's situation is much worse than Derek's in its way. Um, it, it because I think he has all of the emotional pain. He doesn't have the guilt. He's got, but actually he probably has a certain amount of guilt. He has all the emotional pain of having lost everyone. Plus he has no pack bonds anymore. He has no pack, and he has he's covered in horrible burns. He's in agony. I just, I just can't. I can't the violation is intense um, across the board for Peter and Derek. Uh, but then Derek also has the guilt of, um, of bringing this person into their life who, who murdered his whole family, basically. Whether Derek was 13 or 14 or 15 or 16, he's still a rape victim. And they can't retcon that. And I don't think that Derek even conceptually in canon recognizes himself as that as that victim of of rape. No, I don't think he can either. It's easier for him to deal with the burden of guilt than to see what she did to him for what it is. <laughs> Allison does some pretty fucked up things in canon. Um and one of the more appalling things I see is fandom giving her a pass. Yeah. Well, it's because the show. Oh, she was just. She was just so upset. The show gives her a pass for that reason, right? And the, you know what happens when I get upset? I eat a pint of chocolate ice cream. <laughs> I don't torture teenagers. Thing about the thing about the um. Allison, is in in a way, um with Allison's intent to kill. 
she was worse than Peter, right? I mean, Peter pretty much just killed the people who killed his family. But Allison was intending to kill anybody who even was close to Derek um, because she was mad at Derek, even people who weren't even involved. Anybody close to Derek deserved to die as far as she was concerned, which makes her a much bigger psychopath than Peter was. And yet, I mean, I've written stories, I've not written, I've read stories where she is treated as like this bright, shining girl. This is at the end of season two, which is like not even, not even at the end of season three where she's had a year to get her shit together, but no, like at the end of season two, that she's this amazing girl. Isn't she awesome? And, you know, she shakes off the horrors of what Derek did to her. Derek didn't do anything to her. And the thing she and her father did in season two, she and all of them, the Argents were detestable in season two. All of them. They tried to kind of position Chris towards the end as being kind of a sympathetic character. Let's not forget the police, the school principal that he tortured so his dad could get a job. And Ellie says, seriously, how much time did her grandpa have to warp her? Barely any. So how did she flip so badly? Because she was already there. I mean, they have a narrative. The show had a narrative about her and about Peter or whatever they want us to believe. But it just doesn't hold up to any kind of scrutiny um, that that Peter was some kind of villain that needed to be put down, but that Allison was okay. Well, I think it's um, because she was Scott's love interest. So, of course, she had to be better because he was the central character that we were all supposed to care about. And he was also the reason why I couldn't watch the show. So there's a lot of just stuff that better off. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, season two is where I've diverged most of the time. Um, And part of that, I will admit that there's two, there's two motivations for that. One of them is because I just can't go further with Canon. If I'm going to diverge from Canon, I can't go further than the end of season two for me as a writer. It just doesn't work. I cannot keep my suspension of just my suspension of disbelief as a writer is in a much different place than it is as a reader. My willing suspension of disbelief. I'm putting it out there for you folks as a reader. I will try all kinds of things. I wouldn't, I can't get there as a writer for. Okay. So I can't get there after season two with, canon remaining intact so it can't be canon divergent now i could write something in season three but it wouldn't be canon divergent so um but the other au for the right but the other thing i off the other thing i do in every story i've written so far in teen wolf is i make styles have repeated the third grade which there's nothing that says he didn't repeat the third grade um and i so i'm implicitly making him a year older and um I have his birthday. I make his birthday in September. So he's almost two years older. So he's almost 18 at the end of season two. Um, and in my mind, that was part to facilitate moving towards a relationship type thing. But since Kira pointed out to me one day that I hadn't re- really noticed what my unicorn was, um, I don't really feel like I need to stay with season two anymore. Um, not that se- season one and season two, mind you, occur in the same six month period. In canon. Sometimes you don't know what you got till you get till, you, till someone else points it out right. to you. But yeah, you know, Kira did. She was. She says, you know, after reading your story, I'm, I'm starting to think Noah's your unicorn. I was like, oh, I think you might be right. <laughs> so, um, 
which means no one needs to get laid. He does need to get laid. That man's been through a lot. Things were terrible. He needs a booty call. He got all those kids in his house. Of course, he had to get laid off, you know, off property and take a really thorough shower. But they're all still going to know. They are all <laughs> still going to know. There's just not a lot of good options, unfortunately, because every the characters I see people shipping know with the most aren't viable for me as a writer at all. Um, I'll read them, but I can't write them. So um, I'm just putting this out there. If anybody wrecks me stories, do not wreck me teen wolf stories where Noah's a shitty parent. That's like viola- that's Please. like violating the unicorn code. That's not how that works. No, there's not. Um, anyway, um, so yeah, there's there's that that's not how the unicorn thing works. Um, you gotta respect the unicorn. <laughs> uh, and speaking of unicorns, I mean, um, overqualified is pre. Well, it the story will be um, the the sneak preview that's up of that is is Tony Noah. Um, I don't have a preferred pairing for Noah because. Of the canon characters, there's nobody I would put him with. Nobody. Unless it was a Hales, the Hales are all alive thing, and then I could put him with Peter. But once Peter starts attacking, you know, the kids, and he's tormented, you know, he's terrorized Styles. I just can't get Noah together with him. I've read some stories where I've enjoyed them being together, but like I said, my suspension of disbelief is in a different... My suspension of disbelief is in a different place um, when I write, and I can't get past... The, the 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 ripples the logical consequences of how so, uh, how I perceive the way I perceive Noah um, how he would he would feel feel um, it, once he found out what had been going on and what Styles had been through and I don't see him getting together with Peter for that so that was one of the reasons why now I had considered when I wrote um, I talked about this on a podcast what, two years ago? Jesus. Um, that I had considered as a, a romantic partner potentially for Noah in React, which is my come to Jesus story, which is on EAD. But ultimately it felt incestuous, you know, in a in a way, because they were, you know, it just felt, it felt kind of wrong. So I just, because it didn't feel right, I went with someone else. Lois, Noah's still not getting laid though. In that story, I don't know <laughs> what to do about that. Well, I mean, you could go the OC route. Yeah. I mean, I introduced two OCs I could potentially get him together with in, um, or three OCs I could get him together with in, uh, unobstructed views. Any of the three OCs I introduced in that story, um, Lucas or, um, Stephanie or Jason, he could get together with any of them. I'm looking forward to that conversation. <laughs> Like, so, say I wanted to date a werewolf, Derek. Um, how would that work with the whole pack thing? <laughs> Just, and Derek's like, you want to date somebody in the pack? And he's like, what, are you kidding me? Do you, do you know how old they are? Have you been paying attention? Because I have. He's like, so you want to date somebody? Do you want to date Peter? No. And he'd be like, you want to date outside the pack? That's good. And, and I was like, well, if I did, he's like, I don't know about that. <laughs> Derek's like, well, can, would they consider joining the pack? And I was like, well, what if it was an alpha? And then Derek just has a complete meltdown. 
I can't no. even with you. I can't even with you right now. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> what are you thinking? You know that alpha gets you dirty. <laughs> Although in that story, in the sequel, Noah's got a lot going on. <laughs> He's got he he finds out some stuff in that story. Um. He's got much bigger problems than the fact that he's not getting any dick. Sad as I would, you know, as can Divergence go um, in Teen Wolf? Um, I, I hesitate to even say this because I don't want some terrible um, recommendations. Um, but I would actually like to see uh, a really, really well done um, Styles gets beat, um, bitten instead of Scott. One that goes with the psychological ramifications, one where he goes to his dad for support, um, where there's no hinky pairings like Peter Styles. Um, I would want that. Um, yeah, I haven't. It, it's not. A, it's not. I've been looking for this since I started. That was like the first thing I was interested in when I first started reading Teen Wolf. Is I wanted the story where Styles was the was the one bitten, and. Um, I've read a couple, like, well, I can't say I read them. I started them and left. Left with my tail tucked between my legs and when I shouldn't have done that. Um, I read a really interesting one where Styles goes off to college and he's still human when he goes off to college. And he, um, he encounters a pack of werewolves on campus and their alpha wants to bite him. And he doesn't. He he doesn't really re he doesn't really connect what they are. He's he, he's not making the connection because he thought, okay, I'm I'm out of the werewolf business right now. I'm in school, and the guy kidnaps him and bites him, and he escapes, and he goes to Derek. And the whole time, the whole time he's running to Derek because he literally does run from freaking like San Diego or wherever because um, he's freaked out. He he comes into Beacon Hills on foot. He um he runs to Derek and the whole time he's thinking Derek Hale is my alpha. Derek Hale is my alpha. And then when he gets to the door, it's what he tells him. You're my alpha. Um, and Derek realizes that, that Styles has been bitten and that werewolf comes after him to take him back. Cause he thinks that Styles is his beta only to realize that Styles is by no means his beta. <laughs> Why haven't I read this story? This, I don't. I don't understand this. She reading good female figures. She doesn't tell me about it. It was years ago. I was going to say. I think I've known you the entire time that Team Wolf has been on the air. But I don't think that's true. I think Team Wolf put on the air <laughs> in 2011. <laughs> I didn't meet you till 2013. And but I don't read much in the in the in the Team Wolf fandom. But that really, I would like to see an AU where Peter bites Styles and. Derek kills him. And it inadvertently becomes Styles Alpha. <laughs> and he has to deal with this baby werewolf. <laughs> who's all in and hyperactive about it. <laughs> but who's like pissed off that he got bit by Crazy Peter. But also, hey, cool. <laughs> I ran all the way to school. It was great. You know, because Scott was all emo and shit. But I think that Styles would have a very small emo period. And then he would be like, 
game on. I gotta figure out everything there is to know about werewolves now because I'm one. You know, and I'd like him to tell his dad and say, hey dad, you know, something happened in the forest and I shouldn't have been out there and it was a fucked up thing to do. This is Derek. He's my alpha. <laughs> I, yeah. You're what? You're what now? <laughs> um, You're what? <laughs> I did read, there was a story I read fairly recently, um, it was this year, that Styles gets, I don't remember if he takes the bite on purpose or if he just gets bitten or what, but they're like all, everybody's like psyching up for Styles to just be an awful, have a really hard time adjusting to being a werewolf and it's just, they're predicting, it's a, it's a short story, but they're predicting the night from hell and like they've got like, you know, extra reinforced chains and stuff and, you know, and the moon rises and Styles is like like twiddling his thumbs going, is the moon coming and going to be up anytime? And everybody's like scratching their head going, what is going on? And it doesn't phase him at all. It, it's like he's, he's like completely unchanged by being a werewolf. He's like, do I have to stay locked up in here now? Because this is really boring. <laughs> and it's just, it's really charming because he just so accepts being a werewolf that he doesn't fight it at all. He's just like, yeah, okay. This is what we're, is what we're doing. But yeah. I got it. I, feel like I, I got this. I would, I would actually enjoy writing a story where Styles is bitten. Um, but I've just always been so, f what? I did not. Oh, okay. What the fuck? Oh, phew. Sorry. I, I thought I was in my bookmarks and I was in my history. And sometimes you click on really questionable shit, but you don't bookmark it. Um, really questionable shit. Um, yes, this is it. It's called um, Choices by Omni. O-M-N-I. And Choice by Omni. And it's on AO3. And it is just 8,600 words. Um, but yeah, it's a cute little story and, um, it's very powerful. It's, um, I liked it because it, uh, it addressed the issue of consent in the biting and, um, Styles' response to being bitten against his will, um, and having that choice taken from him. But even in that moment, um, he still has the fortitude to empower himself and um and do something that is kind of unlikely that he chooses his own alpha he's like i'm just i'm that he's basically defying his maker somebody so. found it yeah it's called choice um desert found it desert poet found Thank it you and um claire found the one i was talking about which is called making a memory by been wandering one word b-e-n-w-a-n-d-e-r-i-n-g as in i've been wandering but and uh that is it and it's like i said that one's short it's like 2700 words i like the one where style saves the hale family from um the fire when he's 10 and then turns around and um pulls that wolfsbane bullet out of Derek. it's just it's it's really powerful and he's like telling them you know to get out of the house and they're like saying we can't we can't and he's like yes you can <laughs> and he's you know he's like we're gonna do this and he pulls them over that mountain ash 
with the sheer strength of will at 10 years old. And it is just, it's a, it's an amazing scene. And the opening of that, she just like, boom, she banged right into it. And it was just, it's a really good story. And that's called. I've, that's one that I've, I started probably. Hope is it. Hope is the thing with feathers by Shana Storyteller. Yeah, I started that one, but I never finished it. I don't even remember why. But I remember the beginning. I just don't think I got very far with it. But I'm pretty sure I read that when I was um, early on in my, I guess we'll call it my tenure in the Teen Wolf fandom. And um, um, it may just not have been what I was looking for at that particular time. I'm pretty sure I spent like the first like six months of reading Teen Wolf trying to find stories where Styles has been bitten. And mostly it was, mostly um, it was ABO. If you're looking for werewolf styles, most of what you're going to get is ABO. And I don't like to read ABO. Especially in Teen Wolf. Uh, I have so many issues with the consent and I, I just can't get past it. Um, but uh, I like the exploration of Styles' character and um, his, his strength of will. Um, and so, yeah, I would like to read one where Styles is just like, yeah, yeah, I mean, he had his he had his moment. He calmed down. His dad's just trying to fix it, try, trying to make it better, trying to you know get them through it. And they come upon you know you know and Derek's the solution. And he's like, well, you're going to you're going to tell my kid how to be a werewolf. <laughs> Do you need a job? <laughs> you got one. <laughs> the guest room is that way. You're not leaving until my kid is fixed or <laughs> fixed or something <laughs> just fixed trying to fix my kid yeah that doesn't I don't I don't that doesn't sound familiar Ugh, no I wouldn't read that <clears throat> I only read that pairing in um um hardcore AU where like I mean no secret I love the one where where Peter, it's a human AU, where Peter owns a bar and uh, he's a biker and Styles is a novelist and eats eats, a, eats food from, you know, eats a dish feeder fares and proposes to him on the spot. Yeah, proposing to strangers. Um, I love that story. But if it's not like a hardcore AU, if it's anything set remotely in canon, I don't, I don't read that, that pairing. I don't, um, the the age is an issue in a lot of fics, but even if Styles as an adult, um, I don't read him with Peter. It's a hard line for me. I just can't do it. Um, I have the one of my favorite Derek Styles fix is the one where they're in New York and Laura and Derek, and I guess they never went back to Beacon Hills, um, and uh, I they could be human. Actually, and Derek's a fireman, and Styles keeps <laughs> burning popcorn in the microwave. First, it's an accident, and then he does like a whole thing where he studies it so he can figure out the correct time. Anyway, <laughs> the fire people, the fire truck keeps coming out of the dorm, and it's a waste of their time. And Derek gets pissed off at um, at a uh, at Styles a lot, and Styles is also really good friends with um Laura who runs a burger joint and he eats Derek's um emo baking 
because Derek is simultaneously pissed off at Styles and also attracted by him. So every time he sees Styles, he bakes something and it ends up in Laura's store and Styles eats it. And he has no idea that her brother and Fireman Derek are the same person. Uh, I don't think I've read this one. But but she figures it out. It's called Fireman Derek's Crazy Pie. Cheeseburger Baby, Cheeseburger Baby by Al Post again. I gotta collect all these links. That is a hilarious pen name. I love Get it. Them in the... um, but yeah, that's just great. Um, I can't read one where Derek's a ghost. That's so sad. So I will update the link library with these links later. Oh, Willow, Willow found the one where Derek's a ghost. It, it, he, it gets fixed, right? He gets it's better. better. Okay. <laughs> just checking. <laughs> you know, I have, I have a funny... Re- Lately, I've had a very difficult time with recommendations on stories and the funny thing is Rex make um they make the world go round right i mean in fandom it's actually it's not just fandom right we recommend the things we we really enjoy to people we think this was amazing um although i do think fandom takes it to a level that is like in my in life before fandom if somebody said i think you really enjoy this book and i went that's not really my cup of tea people didn't get upset that's pretty much a phenomenon I only discovered in fandom. Uh, I'm sure that it, we talked about it before. It's about people um, feeling judged for what they like. They want your validation. They want you to like what they like to prove. I don't know. It's it is some kind of validation, or if sometimes I think if what they like is really questionable, um, it's so. They want you to say it's yeah, okay. I, it's not validation. It's permission. I, I don't know. It's weird. But I've been having a really bad run of Rex lately. Like, really bad. Um, like, to the point, like, I was, I was like this, like this close. And I'm holding my finger about a quarter of an inch. My finger's about a quarter of an inch apart. I was about this close to putting up a warning on my site and on Dreamwith and everywhere I could think to put it. That if you were going to risk sending me a wreck, you were risking me telling you what was wrong with this thing that you loved. Um, <laughs> because it just got that bad, you know. Um, and... You know, it's like, do you want to take that risk? Do you really want me to tear apart this thing that you like enough to recommend to me? I don't think you do. So think hard before you send me a wreck. And, you know, I mean, man, recently, I mean, somebody could not have gone further off the mark with me recently. Um, I actually think people would. It, that's the problem. There's, there's like no discernment. <laughs> people would send these wrecks to their mothers. Uh, you know, and the thing is, like, there was... I got a wreck recently where I mean, I open up and all I see is a, like, a, a, like not just a wall of text, multiple walls of text. And I grab one of the walls of text on this and conceptually it didn't sound remotely interesting to me, but I went ahead and just opened it up to kind of skim and check for like some major, some like structural problems that might put me off of even attempting to look at a story. And like one of the first paragraphs I come across is 540 words. I mean, the maximum length they recommend a paragraph be, the maximum length is 250 words. And that should be an outlier that most people are comfortable around 100 words. 50 to 100 is people's comfort level. And we're talking 540. And there were multiples of them on the page. Multiple. I get uncomfortable at 150. I do too. I'm like, this is, this is, this is too long. What am I doing wrong here? 
it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just a big no. And, um, and then recently somebody sent me and they said they really wanted to recommend me because I'd recommended, they'd asked me for Rex. I said, well, what do you like? And so I sent them some things I thought that were really well, well done in, in the, in the fandom they were asking about. They said they really wanted to return the favor. Could they send me some Rex? And I said, well, I'm a little bit kind of a bit of a fussy reader. And they said, well, well what, what do you want to read? And I said, well, I kind of like, you know, it's always safe. It's safe to recommend things to me that kind of like in, in the vein that I write. So whatever fandom it is, you know, I mean, there's things I definitely like to read outside of what I write, but the stuff, the themes that I work with in my stories, that's safe. Um, I prefer a higher quality of writing, you know, someone who can, who's run spell check and that kind of thing actually uses direct address commas, just stuff like that. The basics. <laughs> Just the basics, please. With the direct address, comma, please, please, please. And they said, "Oh, I've got an author you've got to read. You've got to read. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with them." And they sent me this author, right? That they, I've got to read. They've got a big body of work, and it is like the, the the one author I would blink out of one of my fandoms if I could. I mean, like the most hated author. It, it, I mean, I cannot stand their writing. It's not them. I cannot stand the way they write. I think it's amateurish. I think it's gimmicky. Um, the way they characterize, you know, my favorite character of that fandom is monstrous. I cannot tolerate it. And this, and they go, this, they're so much like you. And they actually said that they're so much like you. And I was like, did you want to wash their mouth out with soap? Because I was I like, do. no more Rex, no more Rex, well, no more Rex. What I would say is that while um, I do have some OTPs, um, I am firmly in the McKay Shepherd. I will go down with that ship. Um, I'm pretty open with Tony Dinozo. Let me tell you what I'm not open to with Tony Dinozo. Um, I like to read authors who are dedicated to their pairings. Uh, so if you're going to write Tony and Steve, write Tony and Steve. If you're going to write Tony and Danny, write Tony and Danny and be all in on it. You know, give me something really good. Um, if, if, if you're going to write Tony with Ian Edgerton, thank you. <laughs> I'm all in for it, right? Um, it, but what I don't like to see is if I go to an author's uh, page and their pairings are just all over the place. And I feel like it, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm not going to get the, the dedication I would out of a shipper. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? I don't even know. I've, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. If you've got 50 stories and Tony has a different lover in each one, what am I looking at? Yeah. But you know what it is? I also don't like harem fix. And that could be the root of it. I, I cannot fucking stand harem fix. Oh, somebody wrecked a harem fix to me. And I told them. I would stab I people. told them, I said, I don't read harem fix. And they said, well, it's it's not the main pairing. And I'm like, hey, it's not a. I don't give a fuck. I don't care what position the harem is in that story. I'm not interested. I don't read that. Um, actually, I got the same harem fic wrecked to me by two different people. I was just, by the second time, I just threw up my hands and went, no. Um. But yeah, when it comes to, I mean, if I, I obviously, as you know, explore Tony in a wide variety of relationships, but I do explore um, outside of a couple of my, like, um, eh, I, think, I think the only time I explore him even in those in a relationship is I just mentioned him being with Zale. 
Um, but Zay, that's like incidental. Um, but normally when it comes to, um, cause obviously I, like I said, I pair him with a lot of different people, but I want to explore the pairing. Um, like really explore it. I like the exploration. Um, and I'm not saying that I, you know, that I wouldn't read um, Tony with, you know, I am open, but I also want to see a full exploration of a pairing. Um, yeah. From the authors that I read. Yeah. Well, and that, that's also, that's also something that I don't, Typically, I do on occasion when something sounds really good. I, I, um, when something sounds really good, I will read a shorter story. But in general, one of the part of my search on when I'm searching on AO3 is I don't actually just weed out, I weed out any of the stories below 10,000 words. Yeah, it has to be something. I mean, even though I I've been writing a lot of shorts lately for prompts and stuff, when I'm ready to read, I I need something to bite my teeth into, you know, sink my teeth into. I want, give me something. <laughs> yeah. Come on now. Yeah. I want to, <laughs> I want to get like in and, and really read something. So, um, a lot of like. Size matters. Yeah, it does. Um, so, I mean, I, part of one of the reasons why I even write shorts at all is it, it Actually, I don't have a problem with shorts, but I don't tend to delve too much into relationships that I haven't explored outside of a long story in a short, if I explore a relationship at all. And most, I would say the majority of my shorts are Jen, um, because relationship dynamics, I just, it's difficult for me to wrap my head around them in 1500 words or 1700 words or 2000 words or whatever, whatever that short story thing is where, and, and so I, especially if I get, if somebody presents me with an improbable pairing and, and the thing that the, the, if, if I'm going to read an improbable pairing that seems improbable to me, I'm going to need more than a couple thousand words. To, to figure out if that gels for me. Can you imagine if I tried to convince anybody with Tony Denozo and Bruce Banner in 2000 words? I don't think I could have made that compelling. I need, it, it seem... I needed to write a whole story to explore their, but that's, that's me. That's me as a reader, right? That's, that's way, that's how I resonate with things is I want to, I want to feel, I want to be sold on it. I want the writer to sell me on how great this relationship is. And I just can't get there with kind of ultra pairings. You know, they're kind of out there um, in 2000 words. I can't get there. But also, it's like, if you're not going to invest in your pairing, why should I? Right. Right. Um, but speaking of investments, um, with the posting of Finding Atlantis, I went over three million published words for on my site for um, fans. Congratulations! That is so exciting. Yep, three million, three million eleven thousand, and it will be over. It'll be over like three million one hundred thousand when I post on Un Un Unleash Your Demons. So three million officially that's wanna... three million one hundred forty thousand. You'll be closer to one hundred fifty thousand by then. Yeah. So, and then I put, plus I have a 60K work that will be published on July 31st. Um, You'll be so. over 
33.2 million. You'll be, you'll be, you'll be ringing in um, August with a bang. Four pretty quickly, actually, if I'm going at that rate. Yeah. I was just to close up the, the pairing thing. I will read out their pairings, but I just need something to sing, sing in. And actually sometimes the more out there they are, the more interested I am in seeing if the author can sell me on it. Um, so I will, this, I'm not saying send me Rex. Please don't. I'm please don't send I'm, me Rex. I'm, not I'm burned out right now. now. I'm burned out right <laughs> now. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm burned. I, I, I'm just told I'm crispy over here and maybe a little bit salty and you know, burn burned is bitter um we look at look at can divergent points for just a few more minutes because let's say we in his in his three hour mark and after i've added out all of our epic thoughtful sciences so silences will probably be done to, to two and a half <laughs> yeah but but uh divergent points for harry potter that i think would be really interesting um is um before after or during the Chamber of Secrets, like when he's literally in the Chamber of Secrets, it goes down differently with the snake. Um, so I think that would be a really interesting one uh, to explore that. <laughs> the snake adopts Harry. Someone needs to. Um, that would be not the parent you would want to disappoint. <laughs> I'm just saying. Mom's not happy. <laughs> She's gonna come up here. <laughs> Everybody close their eyes. <laughs> She's got shit to say. <laughs> well, that's interesting, Edie. What if instead of petrifying Hermione, the basilisk killed Ron Weasley? You're just looking for any divergent point that results in Ron's death. I mean, it's almost like I have an issue with him. It's or like he thinks somebody needs to like fly in a house and drop it on him. Someone should. You could do a total Wizard of Oz fusion where Harry um, is in the role of Dorothy, as it were, and uh, he lands a house on Ron. It's not a divergent point. There is a crack Harry Potter fic where he challenges Voldemort to a duel and drops a house on him. That's one way to do it. Death by squishing. I've always thought that'd be a really horrible way to go. Especially if you were a dragon. You know, it'd be like, you get them between your toes. Well, if the basilisk kills Ron, when Hermione is petrified, I think Harry is playing Quidditch. He's in a Quidditch game. I thought she was petrified at night. I don't remember. On his way to a game. He was on his way to a Quidditch game. And it's cancelled because of the petrification. Yeah, that that rings a bell. That that rings a bell. I know that she was coming from the library with Penelope. So Ron was with Harry at that point. You would want to kill Ron with the Basilisk at a point where Harry couldn't be complicit. There will be no, there will be no, no question of, of whether or not he's complicit. Well, if he if he's killed and he's with his teammates, he can't be complicit. If Oliver Woods got him by the ear, taking him off to a Quidditch game that doesn't happen, he can't be in trouble. Well, here's the thing about the basilisk that's curious to me. Okay, so the victims that get petrified, 
she doesn't eat them because they're petrified. But if Ron is just killed by the stare, he wouldn't be petrified. And he'd be food. So he would just be gone. He would disappear. In which case, if they blamed anybody, they'd be winding, ultimately blaming Ginny. No, she doesn't. Um, her food doesn't wiggle. That's the whole point of the basilisk stare. The basilisk stare kills prey, kills their prey, so they can eat them at their own leisure. Just saying. Gross, gross on both of your sides. I, I'm just saying. Well, um, that's the whole point with the spiders in the woods. I know because they have so many eyes that she was killing them to eat them. I get it. I just, ugh, I don't. Gross. Okay, moving on from live food. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying he wouldn't be live food, he, but he <laughs> he'd be he'd be a dead ginger. <laughs> raw food, then okay, raw food. Raw. He would be raw. He would be raw. Okay, but then there wouldn't be a body, so Ron Weasley just disappears. I actually instead of Jenny, he disappears, but Jenny still got the diary though. So she's still doing her shenanigans. So when it's found out that she's the one opening the chamber, uh, if the they blame her for the murder that's of her right. brother, two gingers for the price of one. They find the snake. What if it does? Or Dumbledore has the snake rendered because somebody rendered that snake because it was just a skeleton. What if? Okay, this is going crack. This is going the crack direction, but I can't help <laughs> it. What if? Ron was always on wit sharpening potion. Okay. And the basilisk is allergic to wit sharpening potion. And so it starts choking Ron down and then it like literally chokes and just dies right there in the corridor. It gets like, you know, choking on Ron because he's allergic to Ron. And so there's a dead basilisk in the corridor with Ron in its throat. <laughs> okay. So there's two things. One, he's only that smart with the witch. With the <laughs> exactly. Witch that's the really cracky part, right? <laughs> Is he such a dodo that his mom sends him off with a, she sends him every month, she sends him a fresh supply of witch sharpening potion. Otherwise he would never get through his classes. I can't even. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. And bizarrely enough, what if it makes life wonderful what if that's inadvertently a fix it for the weasleys because what if somehow dumbledore maneuvers it this could be a fix for harry too dumbledore maneuvers it so that ron the the basilisk choking on ron is considered conquest and so the weasleys get the the render the remains of the basilisk the by rights of conquest and so then they don't care about harry's fortune anymore so they quit cooperating and they move away and they quit cooperating with Dumbledore in trying to control Harry. And so Dumbledore now has no allies in trying to keep Harry in line. And so now Harry doesn't have anybody whispering in his ear and keeping him from learning the truth about things. Fixed. She fixed Harry Potter. <laughs> All it took was a dead ginger. One, Who one dead ginger. Wait. I think most of the fandom knew that it took so, takes more than at least one dead ginger to fix Harry Potter. <laughs> Preferably two or three. Preferably, yeah. Three. We like three. 
Yes, Neville Neville can move in as Harry's dorm mate, you know, best friend in the dorm. And, you know, he can start telling him all the things that Ron has been not telling him on purpose. And next thing you know, Harry gets everything sorted. And Dumbledore dies miserable. Mm-hmm. Happily ever after. <laughs> I mean, if I were to do something like that, I would totally do it as, like, crack taken seriously, which is you'd have this horrible, this ridiculously cracky concept of Ron taking the wit sharpening potion, and there's ingredients in that that the basilisk was allergic to, or at least he's allergic to it when it's in a Ron. Um, (laughs) In a Ron. Any Ron. Just Rons. You know, you put a wit sharpening potion into a Ron, and that's what happens. Um, you get some sort of deadly basilisk poison. Um, what if it, what if he just gets what if his snake just gets food poisoning because Ron doesn't ever take a bath? Gross. <laughs> well, there was a particular there was some interesting um, flora on the young Weasley, and uh, it it reacted. It gave the basilisk dyspepsia, and that's why it died. And everyone's like, are you saying he didn't bathe? <laughs> and Harry could be sitting there next to Hermione going, what is they saying? And he, she's going, he's saying he didn't take a bath. <laughs> Harry's like, well, yeah, we know that. He uses those <laughs> for like a whole year. <laughs> <laughs> Peter was in Ron's pocket. <laughs> yeah, it's it's ridiculous, but there you go. But yeah, there are there are a lot of actually really good divi- um, divergent points for Harry Potter. The Chamber of Secrets, what's, what happens in the chamber is a very good one. Um, the Goblet of Fire, when his name comes out, is another good one. During the first task with the dragon. Um, I've seen a lot of people, not a lot, I've seen a few people have Harry actually talk to the dragon. Which is a, and the dragon actually understand him because he's a parcel mouse. a good idea. Um it's a very good idea. Um, would be it's like I seems like I read one or heard about one where she recognizes that he's an abused child and she just kind of adopts him on the spot. She's like, whoa, whoa, wait. You guys will have to hope that the Fick Ninja recognizes that one because it really doesn't sound um, remotely familiar to me. Someone says it was a pern. Is that the queen who fell to earth? Because I've not read that one. Because the Pern crossover with Harry Potter is the queen that fell to Earth, I, I believe, or something like that. Um, but it would be really interesting. Um, if you didn't want to do Dragon Riders, um, just to, to have the 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 um, the dragon um, truly see Harry Potter when when no one else has. Yeah, that's why I never read it because I don't read harem fix. Okay, Queenie found it. Um, the one where the dragon adopts Harry Potter. Um, no, you don't have to say that you did not. You you wouldn't have read this one. I would not have read this one. I didn't actually read it. That's what I said. I heard about it, but I would not read it. You're right. You're absolutely right. You can go ahead though. It's a uh, Nest Mother by Sam Samvelg. I don't know. S A M V E L G. Velge. It's a it's a it's a snary fic Harry Harry Snape and I don't read Harry Snape uh, so I would not have read that. Um, 
but I don't think I ever read that. I think I heard about it, but I did not read it. Um, but I never read the Queen He Fell to Earth because it's a harem fic. I believe it's Bob Min. Yeah, I especially in Harry Potter, I have a hard no about harem. It's just yeah. So Bob Min Bob Min wrote the Pern crossover, and it's a harem fic, and it's called The Queen Who Fell to Earth. Um, and Harry's dragon in the tournament um, turns out to be a dragon from Pern. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think I would, you know, I've, I kind of kind of noodled a couple times on a on a Harry Potter um, canon divergence that occurs between first and second year, occurs over the summer, um, which is that I had this idea that Hermione's figured out that she knows Harry's an abused child because she's an observant little girl. She knows something's not right with his home life, and um, that. Thank you, Willow. Um. That uh, Harry, she knows Harry doesn't want her to say anything, so she's torn, she's conflicted, and she talks to her, eventually her parents, like kind of, you know, confront her and say what's going on, and she says, "Well, I think that one of the kids in my in my ear, ear who who lives in the Muggle world too, I think he's an abused child," and and they they tell her that she absolutely has a you know an obligation. They kind of talk her around to you have an obligation to do something about this, and that the Grangers um, get. Um, whatever the Brits version of CPS is, which actually the Brits version of CPS is Crown, Crown Prosecution Services, which is not the same thing as Child Protective Services that I'm talking about. But, um, you know, the UK's version of Child Protective Services um, onto it and that it starts them down a path of... Um, that they file this complaint and it starts getting investigated and then suddenly it vanishes. It just, the complaint just evaporates into thin air. And Hermione realizes somebody's using magic to suppress uh, Harry's, um, suppress the investigation. And she gets furious and she makes her parents take her to the ministry. And she walk, you know, goes into Amelia Bones and starts yelling at her. I may have thought about this a little bit too much. I think you need to write it. I mean, you've practically written it already in your head, apparently. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I, you know, speaking of Monsters, Inc., when I was thinking about what kind of pet to give Sebastian in Finding Atlantis to, to, to make myself feel better, I briefly considered John bringing home a dragon. Like, like he did in Monsters, Inc. You know, a, a little dragon. It would have amused me, but I thought that the penguin thing was more organic to the story, um, and not as crackish. Um, if you can consider an emotional support penguin, <laughs> not crack, but I didn't mean to write it as crack. So, you know, it's a cracky idea on top of it, but, um, in, in, I think in practice, it's not. You know, uh, Avery is very much an emotional support animal. Yeah, I don't. Th I, th I think a dragon. It had been a lot harder to avoid the. It wasn't that hard to. I don't think to. At least to me, it didn't seem hard. Um. To to avoid the crack feel of it, but a dragon might have been a little harder. It, it was sort of like you know the dinosaur planet that always felt cracky. That always right. felt cracky to me, right? So. Even in Stargate, yep. even in Stargate Canon, when they went to giant lizards or even little teeny tiny lizards, it it ha it has that kind of 
it has that cracky feel. The reason why Avery is housebroken is because neither myself nor John wanted to deal with penguin shit. That's right. <laughs> and also, I wanted to connect Avery to the city. I wanted there to be this um, connection between them so that uh, because these little penguins do come from Earth and Theseus brought them with him. And so when I was figuring out, you know, what Avery was, I had to stop and do Avery's um, his, his backstory and, and how those little penguins ended up on a planet in, in Pegasus. Uh, and so that's what I came up with. And, um, if his species has been interacting with Theseus for a long time, then they have a shelter nest under the city somewhere. Cause that wasn't the first planet he was on in, in, in Pegasus. It was just a planet they, that he ended up settling on last. And so I kind of wanted, um, Theseus to have the, these little, these little this the symbiotic relationship with the, with this little these little penguins, the, these fairy penguins, um, that uh, well, it's beautiful. That could be explored. it's beautiful, and it also at times provided an element of lightheartedness when it was really needed, and um, Avery was a foil that could break the tension in difficult situations. It was I thought it was brilliant. Well, thank you. Um, you do need something like that. I'm not saying you need to insert an emotional support penguin into your fic. What I'm telling you is that when you're writing something that has really heavy themes like grief and um, especially grief, you need to give your characters room to breathe and you need to give them reasons to laugh when it's the last thing that they want to do, but they need it. You know, one of the reasons why Dobby and Winky had their competition in Darkly Loyal was to lighten the content because it got so heavy. It got mur it got body heavy near the end of that fit because I had so many people left to kill. And I was like when I was plotting, I was like, this this is this is gonna be really dark and really harsh. I need to lighten this up. And the best way to lighten it up, um, was to make it a game between Winky and Dobby with the people who, um, with the Death Eaters, because they became a, a side note. That staff meeting was not supposed to be funny. I did not plot it to be funny. I actually don't plot humor because I don't think I'm funny. Yeah, I don't ever, I don't ever plot it, but it just happens sometimes. Right. It yeah I don't I don't think you can plot funny I think funny has to happen organically and it's not one of my strong suits so it was a happy accident that that I can't read that scene without laughing either so. but you are very witty and so that often is an element of humor in your work regardless is that but it's not I don't it I don't think it's intended to be funny actually talk about that i'm trying to capture although my favorite line in that scene is when dumbledore says that he hopes ron's interest in his sister will peter out Ooh, what story is that <laughs> that's a darkly loyal oh that's right because hermione has convinced the whole school that Ginny and ron are, are fucking <laughs> peter out it made me laugh my ass off 
How often do you get to use a term like Peter out? Well, and you know, it's great when you're amused by your own work. (laughs) What is awful, however, is when you're when you are terribly amused by your own work and literally nobody else is. I was like, that was that was funny as fuck. And like literally nobody thought it was funny. That's really sad. That's sad. You just don't get it. You guys just don't get it. My my humor is above you. But that was actually that all the humor in that fic in, in, in that particular scene is really lowbrow. Um, but I don't care. Um, all of it? Getting Dumbledore to make a dick joke is actually really difficult. I mean, can make an unintentional dick joke. <laughs> was it unintentional? <laughs> So I am I am sitting here capturing, trying to capture all the links that we have been. Um, I only I I only I'm trying to only grab the links of things we actually talked about on the podcast because those are the ones we get pinged about. What about this thing that you mentioned on the podcast? So if something is just mentioned in the chat room, I don't capture that link. Um, but after I put this up, if any you guys could pop over there and see if I missed any, that would be helpful. But again, if we didn't actually talk about it on the podcast, we don't put it in the link library um, because there's no context for it. This is just to help to avoid emails and questions, especially when we don't have answers. Right. Because <laughs> like, oh, dude, if I don't know. Of, if we have a bunch <laughs> of links in there that didn't come up on the podcast, people then would be writing and going, well, what podcast was this story discussed? Because I'm curious what that was said about that. And I'd be like, God, help me. Humor is subjective. Um, what will make one person laugh could make another person cry. Because context and POV are everything. Um that's just super important to remember. What I would also say is that it is our inclination when it comes to um, um, con- divergent points to pick divergent points that impact directly our central character. So we often overlook divergent points that at first glance don't seem to have any impact on our main character. So we don't use them as as divergent points. Like, for instance, how would Harry Potter's life have turned out if Albus Dumbledore dropped dead of a heart attack in 1978? Um, I mean, so much happens differently, though. So, I mean, again, that depends upon what you're trying to do, right? So, if, like, if you're trying to solve some problem in first year, killing Dumbledore back in 78 might be overkill <laughs> but it might not look i have already accomplished the most amount of overkill i think you can actually do in harry potter that i mean i would i would i, I would think you, i think actually, you just got the most literal amount of killing there wasn't you know i mean if you guys could find a story where a more likely number uh, a higher number of canon characters were killed in the same story I'd like to see it. I won't read it, but I'd like to see it. Because <laughs> I put my back into that. <laughs> I got th- I got those in my list. So I'm gonna I'm gonna bump yours. All right. That's cool. That's cool. Um I didn't realize you were calling the okay. list when I first put those in there. Um I'm just saying that was not something that you know 
that isn't that particular point isn't concrete. What is what I would like you to think about is divergent points that don't seem connected that could ripple out and impact your main character in in ways that could change your story. Yes, as as you could have the hog's head blow up and kill everybody during the prophecy. You know, the thing is what we could do is we could try to, you know, as we approach November, we could try to come up with some stories that have divergence points that are more subtle. You know, that, that it's not maybe an obvious divergence point, but that they have big impact. What's jingling? I'm jingling. <laughs> I'll stop. Jilly is I, Jilly is jingling. I've, I've got. Uh, I was jingling. <laughs> that just go right to the corner, just for that. <laughs> Not having it. <laughs> Make sure the booze is stocked. The um, booze for you. <laughs> and send that stripper home. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it would be really interesting to um, uh, pick different um, diversion points and um, look at the uh, ramifications and the ripples of, of doing things, whether they be uh, more like physical events or emotional content events, things that just just change the way your characters look at the world they're in, the way that your characters act in the world that they're in. Um, because what if Tony Stark had said, you know what? Hey, I'm actually not going to work with my mind rapist. Yeah. What if he said no? What? If, and the thing is, and what Clint was like, you know what? You know what? Actually, Tony is right. I'm not going to work with his mind rapist either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And honestly, if Tony wasn't so busy, I think dealing with the, well, and I'm going to explore that at the end of July. Uh, if he wasn't so busy, he he might be looking at other stuff, other important stuff. What might he be doing if he's not, because I mean, honestly, when somebody, when something is a big, emotionally traumatic thorn in your side, like, basically, it, it's my headcanon that dealing with her was and and the team about attitude about her was probably emotionally injurious every time he was around them and that just sucks you dry when you're in a situation where you were being tra re-traumatized over and over and over and over again um it that could, that kind of emotional trauma can be so exhausting both mentally and physically that um he doesn't have room to figure out the rest of what's going on. And he, what else might somebody like Tony Stark be getting done if he is not being like emotionally ground to dust by a situation that he probably doesn't want anything to do with? Uh, you know, he's like using all of his spoons. It is. I mean, he's using all of his spoons. Because, you know, he on one side of the fence, he's got Pepper telling him he needs to slow down, stop doing this, stop doing that, stop doing this. On the other side of it, he's got this little bitch in his life who mentally manipulated him and destroyed his friend. He doesn't know where Bruce Banner went. He can't find him. Um, his science bro is missing. His kid is... And that's her his fault. His kid is dead. Also her fault. 
you know, and I have hear people say stuff like he's got he's got vision, but vision and Jarvis are not the same person. No, they're Tony not. Tony was rolling off of um, Age of Ultron with massive loss going on with Jarvis being gone, and he's got all this grief. It's actually my headcanon that Wanda prevented Tony from um, figuring out that Jarvis was still around. Yeah, yeah. I will be addressing that in a in a fashion after a fashion. I read a short once where um, Tony is in the suit or he's in his lab and suddenly he hears Jarvis's voice and something like that. And he's like thinking he lost his mind and he doesn't want to actually respond. And Jarvis is like, sir, sir. And he's like, is that really you? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, where are you? And Jarvis says, I'm everywhere. And Tony decides not to tell anybody <laughs> that, that Jarvis basically took over the internet to protect himself. <laughs> I have not seen this story, but it's something small. It was like a it was like a one shot. It was very small, or it was a scene of a small of a of a bigger work, and that's all I remember of it. And I've never and I wanted to find it and read it again, but I haven't been able to. And because I I don't know if it was like not complete or if it was a work in progress. Um, but I think he's, he's by the time, by, by the time age of Ultron is at the finish, he is, all his spoons are gone between Pepper and Jarvis, you know, and having to deal with, cause he's coming. It's just like, it's just too much. It's one thing after another. Yeah. It is one thing after another. And I think that, having to deal with her every day caused Tony to take his, his eye off the ball. And, and I don't mean the ball about world safety or anything like that. Alien invasions. I just mean in general, uh, the ball of his, the ball that is his life and all the things he could be accomplishing that got funneled into the Avengers. I mean, it's just, it just made no sense. I can't do it. I can't go there. So, um, but there are other ones, like, after the Avengers, I would like Tony to have had a moment in Epiphany where he realized that he'd been utterly, utterly manipulated with that stupid psych profile and that not recommended bullshit and called her on it. Like, why the fuck did you write that? And I'd like her to be honest and say, you know, that was my job. That's what Nick Fury asked of me or told me to do. You know, I don't even know that she wrote it. I mean, she could have turned in her observations about Tony, but I have Nick Fury's got someone else to spin his reports for him. She may not have even written it. Yeah. So, or maybe he, she doesn't even know what it actually ended up saying. That would be an interesting take on Natasha. That what if Tony confronts her about this, this, evaluation that she did and even like maybe even throws it at her and she's looking at it and she, this is not what I wrote because I would like to take the character back I would like to take Natasha back and um and explore yeah, her but you have to explore her <laughs> before Avengers is a great movie to enter to do an interrupt on her because you I think you have to do it before um Winter Soldier, Winter Soldier is such a defining moment and not in a good way for 
three characters, um, arguably four, um, maybe five. I mean, when you think about it, it's bad for Nick Fury. It's bad for Natasha's character. It's bad for Sam because Sam should have been a little bit more clued. Sam should have known that they were committing treason. Come on. Um, it's bad for Steve. Uh, and you could argue in a way that it's bad for Clint too, because Clint didn't seem to hold any ill will about what Natasha did. And surely she burned him too. It didn't like she had the ability to take his information out before it went, before everything went out into the world. Yeah. So it, it, it messes up a lot of people's characterization. So um, if you want to do good things with those characters, especially Fury, um, Sam, Steve, Natasha, um, I know people a lot of times write Sam as just being along for the ride with Captain America, da, 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 but Sam made choices. He seemed, I mean, I wish they hadn't done the things they did with him, right? He made choices and he knew enough about what role S.H.I.E.L.D. played in the world to know that dumping um, all the information from an intelligence agency on the internet was an act of treason for an American citizen. Oh, he had to, he absolutely 100% should have known that. Um, that would have been an interesting take on Ronan, actually, you know, because Hawkeye becomes Ronan in the comics, yeah. right? And in, and, in, the, and in the MCU, he became Ronan because his family was snapped. What if he became Ronan because when the S.H.I.E.L.D. data got dumped, one of his enemies found out he had a family and went and killed them all? He'd be going after Nat and Steve and Sam and Fury. Well, Nat and, and, and Fury most 100% definitely um, because they would have been the ones that owed him loyalty. And that would have been a deeply personal betrayal. I can see him also taking his temper out on Sam and Steve, but I think that he would directly feel betrayed by Natasha and in turn Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't be a good day to be. Because you can say that Steve didn't know enough about the internet or the world in general to understand what he was doing. You can spin that, but the others, there's no spinning it. Yeah, they knew what they were doing. They didn't care. Nick Fury chose to deal with the Hydra problem by letting the ship sink. And that's ugly. That is so ugly when he had that responsibility to all of those people who were not Hydra to his employees. And here's the thing about that that's really deeply ugly that I think is often overlooked is that the Hydra operatives worked on the assumption that they could be uncovered anytime. So every single one of them probably had a way out. They had a plan. The other shield op the shield operatives who trusted in shield all of their get out plans came from shield. And they had no heads up. Hydra saw it coming. They were trying to stop it, but Hydra saw it coming when 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 Steve um, busted out of their building, which was honestly one of the best scenes that Marvel shot was the elevator and him coming out of it and landing on his shield. That was slick, Marvel. I appreciate you. Mm -hmm. That's all you get, though. <laughs> but the regular S.H.I.E.L.D. employees, they didn't see any of that coming. And the ones that were deep undercover had no opportunity to see it coming until they got burned. Yeah. 
And then, then they got burned, and a lot of them probably died. I read a story once. I can't remember. I can't remember anything about the story except for this one thing. So, you know, whatever. But they basically made the, made a very good case that the infestation in, of Hydra in S.H.I.E.L.D. was almost an inverted pyramid. That, that most of it, the, the further you went down in the organization, the less Hydra there was. And the further up you went in the organization, the more there was. And, and they made a really good case for why that would be. Um, it makes that sense. Hydra didn't have use for the rank and file. That when they recruited you, they brought you along. They brought you up in the organization. They got you into a position of power. So that they had the people in positions that they needed in powerful positions that could take care of Project Insight and um, run those helicarriers because the loyal the rank and file weren't going to do that kind of thing. So that when they burned, when Steve and, and Natasha burned um, all those people, that it the majority of the organization was not Hydra because the majority of the of any organization is the people who keep keep it running, the rank and file, right? That's the majority. And I think that their estimate, I think that they threw, I think they made it 12%, just as the 12% joke that is so prevalent in um, yeah. in, in the MCU. Um, but they said that only 12% of the organization overall was Hydra, and most of them were upper management, were, were senior level agents and executives and stuff. And um, Natasha was like, what? Are you sure? And they're like, you, and Tony's like, you didn't check. You didn't have you you didn't even know what percentage of the organization had been was was compromised before you decided that all of their lives were worthless before you dropped a bunch of helicarriers on Washington DC you didn't even know you know i kind of like forgot all those people on the helicarrier died mm -hmm. and everybody underneath those helicarriers Jesus, those he those <laughs> helicarriers are the size of what? They're they're the size of aircraft carriers, right? They're huge. That's not trivial to drop out of the sky. Yeah, they dropped them on the mall on the mall in Washington. I mean, that's a lot of people who died. Nobody runs that fast. I agree, I agree Claire. Loki is a lightweight on the death toll compared to Steve Rogers and Natasha. Yeah. Uh, I'm appalled. <laughs> I'm freshly appalled. <laughs> oh, I mean, they killed thousands, thousands, thousands of people. Yeah, more. I it's my head canon that more people died in the Winter Soldier than died as a result of the invasion. Civilian casualties. Because uh, yeah. in the movie, we just didn't see that many people running around the street. Because when there are giant space slugs flying through the air, you pretty much don't go outside. You stay inside and hope your building isn't one that gets smushed. Um, yeah, and the invasion was at least somewhat contained. But the helicarrier thing, it was just that whole movie... They fucked the franchise with that movie. So if you want to you know, reclaim Captain America, you want to reclaim... Um, Natasha, you want to reclaim, you know, or make Sam, put Sam in a better position. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta find that interrupt before Winter Soldier gets to the point of them making that irrevocable decision to dump that information and drop those helicarriers from the sky. But yeah, why didn't they get Tony involved? The one guy who could actually be useful to them in the situation they were in is the guy they didn't call. So, 
you know, there are, I think it, you could, I really like that idea. I really like that idea. Now that the more I've sit on it, the more I really am just enamored of the idea that Natasha didn't write that report, that she presented her observations about Tony. And maybe that she even noted that um, it was not a valid assessment because Tony was dying. And they knew he was dying. And so she puts that in her notes, right? And so she turns from when Tony confronts her, she turns the notes over to me. This is what I turned in. What in there do you think I'm wrong about? And everything she said is at least somewhat on point from an outsider's perspective. And she, he realizes that Nick Fury wrote the report. I like it too. Um, I think that it would play well in um, if you're going to take Natasha back, which we absolutely 100% want to do. Um, I think they found out subsequent to that. I think it was in the data dump is my, was my impression. If it was in the data dump, then why didn't Tony Stark know about it? Um, Cause it would be my head cannon that as soon as that data hit the internet, Jarvis got a copy. Yeah. But I can, what else could they have found out about the Starks when they were doing raiding Hydra facilities at some point after well, well, Steve and Natasha were raiding Hydra's facilities, so that makes sense. Because by the time they get to Age of Ultron, they are um, they're looking for the scepter. They saw it. I know they saw it. Never told them. The question is, where did that come from? Was it something Shield knew? Which for November, we're going with the assumption that Shield knew it. If but it was in Shield's data. Um. Zola Z O L A. Well, yeah, the guy that was in the computer. So that's where they got the that's where they got it from that facility was destroyed that was the beginning of the winter soldier though right if that base we find they they go on that raid was at the begin that was the beginning of the winter winter soldier except that didn't happen in the movie we didn't see the winter soldier killing the starks in the movie did we not till civil war there's 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 a flash of something and there's a flash of a newspaper i think i want to say it's like a newspaper about the starks dying um yeah okay that's what happened there there was an art there was a newspaper article about the starks dying but other than that i don't think that the the video wasn't seen until civil war i'd have to rewatch that scene where they're in that base that alexander pierce um, alexander pierce is the one responsible for the base being destroyed um, I have to rewatch that scene just to figure out what they knew. Um, but I think it was just, that was all it was, was it was just, I remember the newspaper article, but it, there wasn't any, there was nothing about the winter soldier. So at that point, it could be said that Natasha and Steve speculator are new or were led to believe that Hydra was responsible for the deaths of, um, Maria and um, Howard Stark. Like, but Capricious, is that canon? What the bit about Natasha looking into it and giving Steve a file? Is that canon or is that, and if so, where does that happen? The end of Winter Soldier. Okay. I'm going to have to watch that too because um, we need to, yep. I need to work on my plot a little bit. I just, that, that movie is one I only need to see once, you know? Once. So, but I've only watched it once because I was so infuriated by it. Um, and and Civil War, I'd prefer to have not watched at all. But you know, the halftime I watched it, 
I can't say I fully watched it because I still haven't seen every scene. But um, I've never watched all Civil War, and I never will. So I just don't. Not gonna do it. <laughs> a quick question for the because we we have quite a few um, MCU uh, people are very knowledgeable with the MCU in the chat room. When is the first time we see the um, the compound in New York in the MCU? Is that in is it in is it in the? I thought it was like in Ant Man was the first time we saw the the um, compound, but. I felt like I must have missed something because in the after credit scenes of Age of Ultron at the at the end of the Age of Ultron um uh Vision and Scarlet Witch are at the compound um and Natasha is um she has the tablet cuz she's looking for Bruce right right Okay, but that's the first time, right? Because, because the top part of the tower was destroyed by Ultron. Right, but that's the first um, time we see the the thing, right? That's the first time we see the compound. Is there in that scene? Mm -hmm. Okay, I just read several stories where Ultron was created in the compound, and I was like, have I forgotten that movie? I, mean, I didn't like it, but I didn't think I. I thought that he was created in the tower. He was created in the tower. Okay, I put off my full re rewatch of this one because I've been rewatching the Hobbit movies. I've been put off my full rewatch of this one, um, even though I've plotted majority of the story, but I have a couple blanks um, for the fourteenth and the fifteenth. Because why would I want to rewatch that before I had to? He was yeah, he was released in the tower. That's what I mean. That's why I've, I see it in my head. Um, the party was during the tower. It was in the tower. They were living in the tower. I didn't think we'd seen the compound before the end of that movie. And we don't really get even a whole ton of insight into it. I didn't think until Ant-Man. But I think it was being built, obviously. I mean, it was being built. It just hadn't been finished. Or they weren't using it yet. Because I don't see that facility just springing up between the time period. Um, between the... There, the, the time skip didn't seem to be too significant enough for them to build the whole facility. Capricious, you have right. You have a greater capacity for masochism than I do, and I, I, I can, I can be. I just can't deal with the whole franchise again. Oh, no, I can't do it. I can't rewatch the whole franchise. Movies that I rewatch in the MCU. Iron Man 1, Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, Avengers. Mm -hmm. I mean, in their entirety. Mm -hmm. I rewatched The Guardians of the Galaxy. Weirdly enough, I rewatch Iron Man 2 on a fairly regular basis because it's a better divergence point for me than uh, it's, a, it's a good pre Avengers divergence point, and it's better than the end of Iron Man because the Palladium poisoning is dealt with. So, right. Um, so, because it is a good divergence point, I wind up every time I write a story that starts there, I wind up rewatching that movie. Which is why I do not understand how anybody could say, anybody in their right mind, with, with a straight face, could say that the worst movie in the MCU is Iron Man 2. I'm like, the worst movie in the MCU is Age of Ultron. I have to give it to Civil War. They didn't need to go there. I mean, Civil War is a close second to, for me, but Age of Ultron is 
No. Um, I my bottom three, and and depending on my mood, they move around. Is Age of Ultron, Civil War, and Iron Man three. And the I've only watched Iron Man three once. That was enough for anybody. It's just it's just pointless. <laughs> um, and then I also sometimes would put the Incredible Hulk down there just because it's so boring. Um, it is boring, and it shouldn't be boring. Somebody that turns into a giant rage monster should not be boring. Ed. Ed Norton, can you hear me? You're very boring. You're very boring Hulk, Ed. You made Eric Bana <laughs> seem good. Which is stunning. Um, but other than that, but I, I, mean, I felt like Iron Man 3 was just like a slap in the face because um, they wanted to move on to the rest of the franchise and they didn't want to focus anymore on Iron Man, it seemed like. And so they were giving us this... Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, because I'm getting a red in my voice connected. Um, so um, they, they gave us this movie where they fucked up the Mandarin so Tony wouldn't have his own um, personal nemesis. And we get this stupid ass... <sighs> Just, and they, and they fucked up extremists. Um, and they fucked up extremists, which should have been a um, computer thing, right? Extremist was a computer virus, right? Originally, yeah. yeah. And it was created. I'm blanking on who actually originally created it, but uh, actually, if Hank Hank Pym created it, Hank Pym, thank you. My bottom five movies. And bottom five in the sense that I never want to see them again. If I, I'm, I'm going to have to watch parts of Age of Ultron because of July. But bottom five movies, and it's really difficult to say which one, you know, that they're all worthless for some reason or another, which would be Civil War, Age of Ultron, Iron Man 3, The Incredible Hulk, and Thor the Dark World. Let's just I hated say- Thor the Dark World. I was so disappointed. I wanted to like it, but I did not. And- it's like Thor. I mean, Thor: The Dark World is such an anomaly between two pretty good. Thor: Ragnarok is exceptional, and Thor is good. It's a it's a very good movie in the franchise. And then so you've got exceptional and very good, and between it is absolute crap. It's like, what is this? Um. So those five movies, and there, it almost doesn't matter which order I put them in because I don't want to see any of them. Yeah. No, no, no. Okay. Dark asks, if the MCU extremists existed, why the fuck did Endgame end that way? Tony wasn't exposed to extremists. Pepper was. Tony fixed extremists in Pepper, which means I think he removed extremists from Pepper. Thor Dark World, it's, it's, that was not the impression that I got. That he used extremists to to fix um, his chest and remove the art reactor. Is no, that- I, I didn't. I didn't no. get that impression either. No, I never got that impression. I think they did that for Pepper, but I don't think he used extremists to do it. No, I'd be really deeply surprised if that was MCU canon, because I think he fixed extremists by by removing it from Pepper. And why would he take that risk with himself when everything else was already at risk? Because the canon version of Extremis is a nightmare. Yeah, he turned it off in Pepper. So he didn't fix it. He just turned it off. An interesting diversion point in Iron Man 2 would be that Extremis kills Pepper. Three. Three. Whatever. 
I mean, she could die in two, far as I'm concerned. But, <laughs> you can do whatever you, you know, want. We it just can't be extreme. not have a thing about redheads as a whole. <laughs> but there are select gingers in our fandoms that we don't appreciate. <laughs> we need to do a really good fa- fan casting of Pepper and... and- claim take her back because we, we can take her back you know just stop the bullying and the treating tony like like her child so we can reclaim pepper but i don't if i'm gonna if go to all that effort i need to fan cast her too because i don't that would be a good just pepper pots um is she redhead in the comics hmm a good pepper pots Supposition and canon aren't the same thing. I don't. It defies my suspension of disbelief that Tony Stark would inject himself with extremists. Um, I just, it's mind-boggling to me. I mean, I felt like that. I felt like that him going into surgery. I didn't make that supposition at all because I felt like him going into surgery was he felt so bad about. Um, Pepper and the extremist thing and what had happened to her, that he was giving in to the, the, basically the most emotional manipulation that she had been putting on him to give up the Iron Man. And that they basically used a big giant magnet to get the shrapnel out of the way so that it wouldn't enter his heart. But I would be appalled if that was canon. Because it's just like we know extremists, I guess extremists isn't fixed because it's a nightmare in S.H.I.E.L.D. In, 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 the, in the TV show. And surely if it had been fixed, it would have trickled down into the show eventually, right? Tony wouldn't have kept that to himself. Well, yeah, the whole arc reactor is comic book science. Agreed. I'm talking about characterization. Um, I don't think that Tony would inject the the canon version of extremists into his own body after everything he's been through. I think under some circumstances he might, but he would have to have really changed it. I, mean, I, I don't think he would do it if, if there was just the, even a slight chance that he's going to blow up. Right. And also they couldn't, I mean, could he have put the extremists in his body before they took the arc reactor out, how would the arc reactor reacted to extremists, or how would have extremists reacted to it? I do you really want extremists next to a miniature fusion reactor? That's just mind boggling. <laughs> oh, she's a cutie, Carla. How do you say her last name? I have no idea. No, I don't really see her as Pepper, although I'm sitting here looking at people who were originally slated to you know like some of the early um i was looking at something about who was the early casting choices for people in the mcu and one of the early casting choices for pepper was rachel mcadams now rachel mcadams of course wound up playing a different role in the mcu because they did bring her in eventually but the throwaway girlfriend dr strange nice. yeah but i she, I think she, I think she'd have been better than Gwyneth Paltrow. Okay, so the Marvel Cinematic Universe fandom lists Tony as an extremist user, but the Marvel Cin- Cinematic Universe fandom wiki is not written by Marvel; it's written by fans. 
I love the man from Snowy River. Loved it. It was yeah, that was it was deeply movie. romantic and wonderful. I was very young and I'm so enamored. <laughs> I'm also deeply, deeply fond of that movie Desperado. <laughs> the TV movie. <laughs> you remember? Her name was Nora. I forget what his name was. I wonder if it's on Netflix. Netflix should put all the TV movies on their on their stuff, so I watch them. Okay, so the premise that the premise around okay the the premise around Tony having extremists is based on a line in the end of Iron Man three, which is he says, "As promised, I got Pepper sorted out. It took a little tinkering, but then I thought, why stop there? Of course, there are people who say progress is dangerous, but then I bet none of those idiots ever had to live with a chest full of shrapnel, and now neither will I." So some people have inferred from that that Tony gave himself extremists. If he had extremists, um, then why did he die? The thing is, is that if Tony found a way to turn off the heat version, the the, the dangerous parts of extremists, and just give healing, why didn't he do anything with it? He just kept it for himself? That seems terribly unlikely. It doesn't seem really You know, annoying. it's honestly <clears throat> not the worst character assassination DMCU has done to these characters, I guess, but I just don't buy it. I don't buy it at all. I'm not accepting it into my head canon. Because I think it's stupid. I think we probably um, will be having this podcast put up in two parts because it's almost two o'clock. <laughs> yeah, it's been... Oh my god, it's been almost four yeah. hours. <laughs> I'm surprised my bladder has lasted this long. But um, I think diversion points, I think you need to pick the point that resonates with you and resonates with your purpose. Um, you need to pick a point that um, that you connect with creatively so that uh, your idea is fused with a potential. Now, for me, I like to pick um, emotional moments because I think that sometimes characters can turn in moments where emotions are high and make different decisions. And it can be a very natural transition in the writing for that to happen. You know, so moments where tension is high, the emotions are all over the place. In one instance, this character did this, but in another instance, the door opened and they made a different choice. We talked about in a podcast before about what if Odin went after Loki when he fell? What if Frigga didn't allow Odin to dismiss the loss of their son? What if in that moment when when Loki's about to let go, Odin says, please, please, hold on. Instead of no. Instead of no. In those deeply emotional moments, there's so much potential for change and growth. And um, and that's a part that really just draws me to fandom to begin with. So I do tend towards um, more emotional moments like that. Those appeal to me as a writer. As long, uh, I like strong moments like that as well. It's just, it's really important to understand where you're what your purpose is and that you don't set that too far ahead of where your actual changes in your storyline are going to be. Because setting, setting it down into a really strong really strong moment that is 
10,000 words early is going to nullify all that emotional yeah, impact. Yeah. What about Dina Myers? I put her picture up. Dina Meyer. Is that, is that who you mean? Oh, she's a cutie. Yeah, she was um she was actually on Shield, right? I think No, she, that was that was the other chick, the other really good looking redhead. Um that was in Deep Blue Sea. She played Victoria Hand. Um I like her. I think she'd be good. Yeah. I don't often want to fan cast a, a character. She has yeah, Starship Troopers, that too. I was yeah. She's yeah, she's she's hot. Um, but I can't stand Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> yeah, I usually don't replace a canon character like that, but we you know I just can't it, stand her. I think they just did a bad job. I think they just did a bad job of casting some of the women in the in the franchise, like Betty and I'm in love with my Betty and, casting. Um, I'm never letting it go. So I think if I mean I think if I'm gonna re if I were to ever try to reclaim Pepper, I would have to fan cast her because I just it's just too easy for me to dislike the character extra hard beyond her actions when it's she's played by Gwyneth Paltrow, who I find annoying. I find her terribly false, which is why when I tell you to watch Sliding Doors, you should listen to me because that's a Gwyneth Paltrow movie, and I. Uh, can't stand her, but I love that movie. So that should tell you all you need to know about that movie. <laughs> it's just a really good fucking movie. I think that um uh what's her name? Um the chick that played uh Jane. Um what is her name? Natalie Portman. Jane? I think Natalie Portman oh, is very oh, talented. But you could tell she, she had realized that she'd made a mistake. That she did not want to do what she was doing. And you could tell by the time Dark World come around that, that they were forcing her to do it. And it showed. She didn't want to be in it. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I didn't think she and she and Chris Hemsworth really had any on-screen chemistry no. either. So No, honestly, he had better um, chemistry with the chick that played Darcy. Yeah, much better. So, I'm not sure how cast is Jane Foster, but I think that um, just because Natalie just didn't want to be in it, I'd do it like recast her just because Natalie said, no, I really don't want to do this. But yeah, I mean, she just didn't, it, it was obvious she wasn't, I she was dialing it in because she didn't want to be there. I mean, I don't think Gwyneth Paltrow actually even, I don't think she really, she may have wanted it sort of to be in the MCU movies, but I'm not sure she actually knew she was in them. Right? <laughs> She didn't know who Sebastian Stane was, and she didn't know she was in Iron. She didn't know she was in Spider-Man: Homecoming. After the movie was out, she didn't realize she'd been in it. What did you think you were doing? She's not. It isn't like she's got a, a fantastic filled career. What else came out that year that she was in? Well, she's kind of floundered. Oh, Stan. Sorry, I always say Stane. I always say Stane. Sebastian Stane. She didn't know who the guy who yeah, played Winter Soldier was. Yeah, she asked Chris Pat Pratt on the red carpet in, in front of cameras, you know, in front of microphones. Like, Who's that? And Chris Pratt's all, that's Sebastian Stan. She's like, who? He's like, he played the Winter Soldier? She's like, oh. Like, <laughs> totally, completely clueless. Well, she also thinks that, you know, that women Stan who don't lose weight after they give birth are just lazy. <laughs> 
she did it after all. I mean, you know, just with her personal trainer and nanny and housekeeper. It was easy for her to accomplish, then anybody can do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was prepared with the first Iron Man movie. I didn't mind her, right? I don't like I don't like her, but I don't I didn't mind Pepper in the first Iron Man movie. And then she just became this naggy. Once their relationship started, she became that woman. The one who goes from being a, a romantic prospect to being a shrewish fishwife, right? Naggy, critical, you know, I just, you need to change, 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 change. I was just like, wow. I mean, I just started intensely disliking her. And so my, my, Dislike was dialed up extra because it was Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> but I, I managed to dial off my Gwyneth dislike for the first Iron Man movie. So if they had maintained good characterization, I'd have just dealt with it. But they didn't. They fucked her up. So if I'm going to go to the effort of dealing with the character, fixing the character, I'm going to recast her. So that I just cannot have to think about Gwyneth in my head. Because no one needs that in their head. Yeah, that, that and they were only really friends in Iron Man, the first Iron Man movie. Everything else, she was just telling. I to be think different. that the best moment Pepper has in the entire, and I do mean the entire franchise, her best, her single best moment when she was the best person she could possibly be, was an end game when Tony needed her the most. And so you can, I can actually forgive a lot of it because she, um. She told him he could rest, and it was just like, oh, I can't talk about it, I'll cry. Um, <clears throat> she told him the perfect thing. She told him exactly what he needed in that moment, and it was beautiful. Mm. Mm. Hold on. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, it was just, it was beautiful. And um, that, you know, it, I can forgive a lot for that. I'm willing to not bash Pepper. <laughs> I didn't bash her in Unleash Your Demons, even though I had not seen Endgame yet. Um, although someone did tell me that I wasn't nice to her, and, and I'm like, bitch, I was really nice to her. <laughs> especially since she was the worst she was, in my opinion, in the whole franchise, the worst she was oh in Infinity God. Wars. She was atrocious in Infinity War. So... In comics, she was actually kind of terrible. I mean, she cheated on her husband, and um, I had a real problem with adultery. So, um, when I read her character profile for uh, for the comics, I was appalled. I was like, "Oh God!" I <laughs> like she couldn't be any worse. She's a cheater. I was just, like, I was done. And I don't think she was ever actually in a romance with Tony in the comics, was she? Because she ended up married to Happy in the comics. I thought. I think she's the one. He's the one she cheated on him. She cheated on, um, if I remember that correctly. But after I found out she committed adultery, I thought I was done. I stopped reading her profile and walked away because nope, I don't have any. I don't have any time for that. Okay, so I'm reading some. Um, I, I've been looking at some other um, sites about does Tony have extremists and. Um, Wow. Um, and one of the people said that, that that line that people used to infer um, that Tony had extremists was later assumed by most people, meaning the geeks who write this whole thing on this one website, um, to be actually referencing creating the Ultron, creating Ultron. 
and that that was foreshadowing for Ultron. It wasn't about extremists. Which, considering how uh, MCU likes to do long game foreshadowing like that, which they foreshadowed Endgame in Age of Ultron, um, they, uh, I think that's probably likely. Now, I read her comic book profile where she was married to somebody and she cheated on them. It wasn't an MCU profile. In the MCU, she doesn't have any other relationship with Tony. So, but I re- it was a comic profile that I read, and it was going through all of her history. Um, in in the comics, extremist was a computer virus, not an organic one, and I thought that would have actually been better um, and more interesting mm-hmm. um, than the bomb thing. So, yeah. So this site concludes it with saying that there's nothing that that potentially believable that Tony would inject himself with a modified version of Extremis during his time off from the Avengers, but there's nothing that could confirm that he actually did it. I'm going to go on the belief that he didn't because I think it would be just in a massive characterization issue if he did. Well, but there's multiple comic ver- there's multiple comic And there's reboots, multiple so. profiles for each comic reboot. I mean, there's like the, the number verse and she has a profile there. Um, so there's more than one, and they, they didn't get blended together. There are there are websites dedicated just to the comics that don't even look at the MCU as, as far as their character profiles go. Um, so apparently she was married to Happy, and she did cheat on him. Um, the heifer. I think Extremis is too volatile. And when did they put it in? Before or after? Okay, so either they put extremists in to make the surgery possible, which puts the extremist right up next to that um, miniature fusion reactor in his chest, which is horrifying, or they put it in after. And if he got through the surgery, why would he take that risk when he could just heal naturally? And it would be a risk. Well, in reality, he couldn't have survived the damn thing being put in him. Which they could have reconstructed out of um, whatever materials. In comic books, yes, you can, because he did. But the thing is, is that he would not have survived them putting that thing in him in reality. Let's be real. If you could actually, if yeah, you could actually create a fusion reactor yeah. that small, and you can't right now with our current technology, um, I mean, he essentially has a small star in his chest, okay? A very, very small star. Or, you know, like a nuclear power plant in his chest. It's, it, it's, so, okay, you can't, you can't put extremists with that. But more to the point, because he is carrying around a fusion reactor in his chest, it's taken, it's, it's compacted his lungs. It's, part of his sternum is gone. Several of his ribs are probably gone as well. And that was, Put in his chest in a fucking cave. It's part of it was. They put in a dirty cave and they put wires straight into his heart. You know, so we've got comic book medicine going on for sure. So um, he would never have survived the surgery in the real world ever. He'd have died of an infection in that cave. That's real. So, so yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't attach comic book science to one part to one part of it, and reality science to the other part. You either have to accept comic book science wholesale, or reality wholesale. And if it's reality wholesale, Tony Stark died in that cave. 
Well, I think there's a potential middle ground because sometimes people take a little too far with their comic book science. Like they just yeah, but what I'm on. saying is, is that you can't have it's him like, survive this getting it put in, but then have it impossible for him to survive without injecting himself with extremists. Right. If he could survive getting it put in, he could survive getting it taken out. In in sterilized settings with actual real like doctors and stuff. Because Jensen was a doctor, but he wasn't a medical doctor. Like Bruce Banner would say, I'm not that kind of doctor. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that there's you you could go the direction that he and there's there's certainly foundation for saying he got extremists in IM three, but I I don't see anything definitive that says that. So, um, it's certainly not the way I would write it. Is that he did it then? I, it just was too short. I think he would have needed several more years to work with it. And more to the point, I'm still curious as to when is he would have put it in. Would he have put it in to make the surgery easier? And if that was the case, is it really? And Tony Stark was is very, 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 very smart. Is he dumb enough to put extremists in his body with a nuclear f fusion reactor? With a, well, with a fusion reactor? No matter how it's powered? And if he survived the surgery and got it out and they did the reconstruction on his chest and got everything situated... Which they would have done before they closed him. They wouldn't have taken it out and just left him open and hoped that extremists would do the job. Why would he need extremists? Why take that risk? That physical stress on his body after a major surgery like that? Maybe it speeds it up or maybe he blows up. Because he didn't have enough time to actually make sure it wouldn't kill him. If he had fixed it, then that fix would have trickled down into the series and didn't. Yeah, the extreme. I think they knew the extremist thing was stupid, which is why they let it die. I think they knew it was fucking dumb, and so they let it go. They should have kept it as a computer virus. It would connect. It would have connected Hank Pym early to the MCU. Um, it would have allowed. Uh, it would just been. It would have. It would have been a better connection for him to the MCU. Should have just appeared out of nowhere with the Ant Man suit, um, and then it could have actually dovetailed really well into Ultron. And vision. I mean, yeah, you could. De like I said, you could definitely write it, but I, I don't, I don't see. Him I mean, yeah, you can write it. I just don't believe it, and it won't be ever in my personal headcanon. And when I see it and fix, I just okay and roll on because I don't believe it. <laughs> Probable. I think that if that um, way. the digital version of Extremists had been in Tony, that Ultron wouldn't have stood a chance of getting a foothold in Tony Stark. I agree. And I don't think Ultron would have picked that fight. Because there would be nowhere Ultron could hide. Because in the comics, when, when Tony got extremists, he basically connected to the entire World Wide Web. The, the entire world opened up, um, opened up to him. He was everywhere at once. And it was um, bad, but... If they got it under control, by the time Ultron came around, he'd have picked a really dumb fight by hurting Jarvis. And I said hurting, not killing. <laughs> yeah. Now, you could, if you wanted to do that Tony underwent that surgery under extremists, I think you'd have to give a little bit more time um, before he had the surgery to fix extremists. But then I think if you're going to do that, you have to, you have to have it go somewhere. You have to go somewhere. 
because it, it can't just be he finds a way to heal himself and then he doesn't do anything with it. It's just odd. It's just odd. Did you have somebody told me the other day that you and I agree on everything? That they didn't say that explicitly, but they basically said, you know, they asked me a question about something, and I said, no, not, you know, and, and they said something about you, and I said, yeah, and Kira and I have pretty much the same perspective on this, and they said that you, you and I agree on everything, and I was like, they really should have been here earlier when we were having a discussion about um, uh, inciting events. Yeah. Because <laughs> we didn't agree at all about any of it. In fact, we we disagreed so much about inciting events that we scrapped the podcast idea. Well, the interesting thing would just been two hours of the two of us arguing over what the, the inciting event was in Harry Potter. Actually, no, I think the, the sticking point was... It wasn't even you and I, where you and I were off. It was when, I think it was when you looked up the one of the Harry Potter inciting events. And Goblet of Fire. And we both were like, what? It was no, the Goblet of Fire. No fucking way. Yeah. But the thing is, the funny thing about that is that we generally, it's like, even if we didn't agree on which part of the event, which part of a, a general part, we usually were in the same 10 minutes of a movie. So it was like right. somewhere in that 10 minutes, we both agree the inciting incident occurred. It's just a matter of which one of those events did we think was the, was, was the incident. Right. And, and we usually didn't agree um, on exactly which one. And, uh, but then we'd go look up what other people have said an inciting incident would be in a movie or a, a famous book. And we would both be like, what? We were completely in agreement about them being wrong. <laughs> <laughs> because this one asshole said that the first plot point, the first plot point in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire is when Harry's name comes out of the fucking goblet. Do they not even know what a goddamn plot point is, is what I'm asking myself. Now, what they really meant was that they thought that Harry's name coming out of the goblet was the inciting event. I don't agree. I do um, agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So case in point. But anyway, we actually scrapped the podcast. I think us seeing it differently wasn't, wasn't really a problem. It would be that people would go and look up. And there would be like 15 different answers and none of them matched ours. And it was just like, okay, I can't. But we're like, we're going to get emails like out the whiz wang. <laughs> emails. Um, but no, we don't always agree. We don't even always agree on the podcast. That, that would be ridiculous. No, we don't always agree on the podcast. But if, um, if we ever. No, it's not when the movie starts. Um, the, well, the, the, the first plot point in Harry Potter and the um, Goblet of Fire. I guess it would be Arthur Weasley picking Harry up. Yeah, to go to the World Cup and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's the that's first, the first plot point. First, because that's the first thing that significantly is about the, story. the murder of Frank Bryce. Does that happen before Arthur picks him up? I've not watched the movies and I don't remember the book. But I think we all agree that it was not when his name came out of the damn goblet. Well, but if for uh, just something being a scene existing doesn't necessarily mean a scene is a plot point. A scene can be building to a plot point, or um, but it might have been. I don't remember how critical the murder of Frank Bryce was to the overall. Plot well, it art. shows us that Voldemort is in a human, human, hum in the humunculus body. Yeah, yeah, humunculus. Um, we we learn that he's taking physical form. In that scene, so that's so that's pretty important. 
Um, I guess it's a plot point. It doesn't feel, it feels, I guess it doesn't really feel like plot point. It feels more like um, background information. But I guess ultimately considering where the Goblet of Fire goes, it is a plot point. It just didn't really feel like it at the time. So, but I think the inciting event in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire is um, uh, the World Cup Death Eater Riot. Um, and she thinks it's when his name comes out of the Goblet of Fire. So see, we don't always agree. We don't always agree. There you go. Um, and but the, the only- it is 2.21 in the morning. It's been going to for go- almost four and a half hours. It's time for, I was going to say it's and- time for us to go to bed, but it's actually time for us to go to the bathroom. Yes, it is. So, um, I hope you guys enjoyed this two-part podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Part one, part two. And we'll catch you guys later. So, say goodnight, Jilly. Night, everyone.